All right, so just like I did last week, we started Galatians last week. I'm just going to give you like a 10-minute starter, and I'm trying to keep myself very much on a strict time diet so that we have the rest of our time to discuss in more detail. I have a discussion guide again this week like I did last week. We're talking about Galatians chapter 2 this week, the whole chapter, but the great conclusion of it is the verses that I just read to us. And so if you look at the chapter, it's, it's important tonight that you have a Bible of some kind in front of you, because I'm going to be referring to far more than is printed in the bulletin. So even if you have your phone to bring out, do that. It would help you. Um, I want to show you today, this, this chapter is about two meetings, two meetings, and one glorious conclusion from that meeting, from those two meetings. All right, two meetings and one glorious conclusion from the two meetings. Y'all ready to talk about it? Very briefly, here we go, two meetings. Uh, it tells us there in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, After 14 years, that, that's 14 years after I became a Christian, I went back again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and with Titus, and I met with the church leaders that were assembled at Jerusalem. That's the first meeting. He describes that in verses 1 uh, through 10. The second meeting he describes starting in verse 11. It says, When Cephas... Who is Cephas? Peter. This is another name for Peter, Simon Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's the second meeting. So in the first meeting, Paul goes to Jerusalem. In the second meeting, Jerusalem comes to Paul. And two very different things happen at these two meetings that lead Paul to make the glorious conclusion that he makes in the verses that I read earlier. All right? So let's talk about each of the meetings really briefly. First of all, when Paul goes up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus with him, what happens? It says he went there in verse 2 in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So he went up there to meet the leaders of the mother church, Jerusalem, in order to tell them and summarize to them the message that he had been preaching to the Gentiles. Why would he want to do that? He says there in verse uh, 2, I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. What do you think he means there? Well, I think he's saying, I want to make sure that he's not, well, let's first let me say what he's not saying. He's not saying, if I had gone to Jerusalem and they told me I was, I had, I was preaching the wrong gospel, I, he wouldn't have all of a sudden changed his gospel. He's already said, remember last week he said, even if an angel came to you, if an apostle came to you preaching a different gospel, don't believe him. There's only one gospel, and I got it not from man, but directly from Jesus Christ. So Paul's not saying, I would have changed my message. But he does want to make sure that the church really was unified worldwide around this one message. And he, he believed that if it wasn't unified at this early stage, then he would in some way be doing a vain thing. Can you think of why that might be? What does disunity do to any movement or any organization? Especially when it's young. It can completely undo it, right? I mean, if, if at this early of a stage, the church can't get together around the world and say, here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, then maybe the whole thing is on a bad trajectory and it's lost. But... Praise be to God, and what a wonderful thing it is that when he got up there, that's not what happened. The apostles in Jerusalem agreed with him 100%. It says in verse 3, Not even Titus, who was a Greek, 
He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was not forced to be circumcised. Nobody in the, the apostolic group said, oh, what about this uncircumcised Philistine among us? Make this man get in there and make an appointment with the rabbi and get that taken care of. And none of them did that. Paul said instead he, he realized that the, the uproar over circumcision had been brought in from another source, not from the other apostles. Verse 4, this matter arose because of some what? False believers, false brothers, some not apostles, but some other people within the church, probably who came from a Jewish background, who had the gospel confused in their mind. And it says they infiltrated our ranks, I love this, to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to bring us into slavery again. It's like that they had a works righteousness frame of mind and they were in there trying to spoil the gospel party that Paul and the apostles were trying to lead. But what a relief it would have been to Paul to discover that, that, that party pooping was not coming from James. It wasn't coming from John. It wasn't coming from Peter or any of the others. It was coming from just these other random guys who were saying that they were Christians, but they weren't fully acting out and teaching the gospel plainly. Right? And so it says, verse 5, We did not give in to them for a moment. These false brothers. We, we would not give an inch to these guys so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, O Galatians. That's what Paul's whole point was. He wanted to go to Jerusalem to make sure that the work he was doing in Gentile lands would have a possibility of succeeding because behind him was a whole unified church that all shared together in the same message. Well, he goes on and he says, and this is the key verse in verse 6, those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. They added nothing to my message. So when Paul went to Jerusalem, what happened? He found that they were, he was teaching the exact same thing that Peter had been teaching. And Peter didn't want to add anything to Paul's message, and Paul didn't want to add anything to Peter's message, but they all agreed in the same gospel. And it was this one happy gospel reunion. Verse 10, the only thing they said was, don't forget to, to care for poor people. And Paul says, that was already something I had planned to do. And maybe the reason for that was this. Uh, most of the Christians in Jerusalem and surrounding were poor because they were from Jewish backgrounds and they were under the Roman occupation. There, there weren't many rich people among them. However, when Paul started ministering in Gentile places, there were people who were more well-to-do and had more power and connections. And maybe part of their perception was Paul was going to go out into the, among the rich people hobnobbing with the gospel and he was going to forget little old poor Jerusalem church. And Paul says, no, that was not what I wanted to do to begin with. The church should always remember the poor. Because as the Bible says, the gospel is good news for the poor. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. For they're the ones who will see God. That, that was the first meeting. The second meeting was when Jerusalem came to Paul. So Paul came to Jerusalem, everything was good. But then Jerusalem came to Paul and everything wasn't good. Paul was up in Antioch. Antioch was a Greek city in Syria. That, that was Paul's home church where he stayed. And, and they're the ones that sent him out as missionary on his three missionary journeys. When Peter came, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. Would you love to be there to watch that? 
that would have been kind of equal parts awkward and interesting at the same time to have two apostles duking it out. But why were they having to duke it out? Because he says, before certain men came from James, Peter was up there in Antioch eating with Gentiles. He was up there mixing with all the Christians, whether they were Jewish or Gentile. He was mixing with them all. We were having a great old time. But then James sent some people from Jerusalem, and at that point, Peter got scared and stopped eating with the Gentiles. Because it says, Peter was afraid of the circumcision group. Verse 12, or the circumcision party. Those false brothers that he had described, who were secretly, brought, you know, secretly came in to spy out the freedom and bring us back into slavery to works rather than grace. Peter got scared, and so Peter decided he would not eat with the Gentiles because he didn't want to cause offense. Uh, these were people who said, in order to be a Christian, you've got to first become a Jew. And you've got to live like a Jew. And Peter didn't want to offend them. He didn't want to step on their toes. But Paul says, you've done wrong, Peter. In fact, he uses the H word, verse 13. What's the H word? You're a hypocrite, Peter. What does hypocrisy mean? Acting. Playing. Putting on a mask. It was as if Peter put on his mask after James folks came because he was afraid of a group of people who Paul already said was false. And he quit living, it says, in line with the gospel. Verse 14. See, the gospel is no good if you only believe it and don't live in line with it. And when Peter said, hey, because I'm afraid of those guys, I'm going to not eat with my fellow Christians. I'm not even going to pretend like I've ever been near them. Paul, Peter was contradicting the glorious grace and freedom of the gospel, which says everybody who believes in Christ Jesus is all in one family, all together, saved in the same way. Nobody saved by works of any kind. Everybody who's in the family saved only by the grace of God given in Jesus. And so he opposed him. And he said, you're a Jew, Peter. And yet you live like a Gentile until certain Jews come and then you start, suddenly start living like a Jew again. How is it that you are forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? If you yourself only do it half the time when certain people are around, then how are you trying to force those rules back onto these, Jew, these Gentile Christians? And then... This leads us to the final thing tonight before we discuss. Paul gives the glorious conclusion from these two meetings. And that's what I read to you earlier. He says, through the law, I died to the law, verse 19, so that I might live for God. Through the law, I died to the law. I used to think, this, let me paraphrase Paul, I used to think that I could be right with God by keeping the law, by doing the right things. But it took me getting killed by that way of life, me getting worn out by it, me, me getting exposed in it whenever Jesus met me on the road to Damascus. He stopped me in my tracks. And that's when I realized when it came to the law of God, I was dead meat because I had not kept the half of it. And even the things that I had kept, I had only kept half-heartedly. I was toast. So through the law, I died to the law so that now I might actually live for God. Here's the ironic thing. When you try to live for God by works, you're really not living for God at all. 
You've missed God. When you try to live for God by earning his favor through your good deeds, you're not living for God at all. Paul discovered that. That's why through the law, I died to the law. I realized I had been wasting my whole time. And so now I'm finally set free to actually live for God because I understand that living for God is a response to grace. Verse 20, I, was cru- I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer even I who live. Paul, who's Paul? He's dead. He died with Jesus. Now, raised with Jesus is this new person that, that God is remaking. And God is making this person someone who wants to obey God from the heart. Not just obeying God because he has to, to avoid hell, or to get blessings and goodies. But Paul's now becoming someone who wants to obey God because he actually loves God. Look at what he says. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When Paul was trying to earn God's favor, he had nothing like that, did he? Because let me tell you, the law didn't die for you. The law ain't going to give himself up for you. The law is just going to tell you what to do and what not to do, like we were reading out of the Ten Commandments tonight. And the law is good, don't get me wrong, the law is beautiful because it comes from God's heart. But the law just says, you're either right or you're wrong. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. Paul says, I had to die to the law through the law. I had to die with Christ so that now I could live for God because I know that God hasn't just given me a law. He's given me a son. He's given me a substitute who actually loved me and gave himself up for me. And so Paul says this wonderful thing, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. In the present tense, I don't set it aside. Meaning, I never think that I'm too big for grace. I never think that I've advanced beyond grace. Grace is not the ABCs of Christian living. It is the A to Z of Christian living. It's everything. I'm never going to graduate from the school of grace, he says. Because if at any time righteousness could ever be gained by something I do, Christ's death is meaningless. Christ died for absolutely no reason at all. But of course, Paul knows Christ didn't die for no reason. And so here I am. A man, somebody called Paul once the apostle of the heart set free. This is what set Paul's heart free. He he was angry. Remember, we saw it last week. He was a persecutor. Religious, but bitter. Church going, but sour. Bible reading, but grumpy. Obedient, but tired and wore out and frustrated with people who weren't obedient enough, you know? And then all of a sudden, grace set his heart free. It didn't make Paul less obedient. It made him actually, for the first time in his life, truly obedient. All right? Now, that's my little bit. Let's discuss it, shall we? Y'all good with that? Any, Any questions about my little bit there before we discuss. I'm going to pass out a discussion sheet. Questions or thoughts as Ben passes? I think we'll do it all together tonight. Jan, what do you think? How are you feeling? Okay. We, we were going to split down the middle, but I, this one might be a little, little bit of a deep end type discussion. It might be beneficial for us to all be in one accord here.
Any thoughts before we start going through these questions? These will hopefully get us to some more personal application of these things, but no thoughts. Everybody good? All right. I'm going to need one of those too, Ben, because I don't have the questions myself. So I'm just kind of stalling for time right now. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So let's start here. Uh, based on Paul's uh, glorious conclusion, which you can look at again there in verses 19 to 21, what are two different ways that we can lose a grip on the gospel? Two ways. So sometimes we think there's only one way maybe to lose the gospel, but he, he, he says there's two. Yep. Yep, that's exactly right. So number one, you feel like God loves me more because I do certain things. You feel like my standing with God depends on my performance. That, the classic word for that is legalism. Maybe a more modern word would be moralism. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Here's the things to do. Do them so God will love you and you'll be on the good team. Right? Paul says you can lose it that way because that's what he says there in verse 21. To live this way or to speak this way is to act as if Christ died for no reason which is a pretty bad thing to say, right? Christ died for no reason. We, we saw all that Christ went through as he died this morning in Isaiah 53. To say that was worthless is an awful thing to say. And when we fall into legalism or moralism, that's what we're saying. But there's another way to lose the gospel. It's hidden in there, but I believe you can find it. Oh, yep, whichever. Yep, try to live. Okay. Yeah, yes. Meaning, how, how would that look? Explain, explain more. Like, what do you mean by that? I think you're getting to what I'm thinking, but. Um, hmm. Maybe you want to expound? Okay. <laughs> Trying to keep your life. Yes, yeah, exactly. So do your th own thingism, right? Yeah. I can have Jesus, but then I have my own life too, right? Like Jesus is just sort of a side dish to the main course. Um, speaking like he's saying it's no longer I who live. Mm -hmm. so the, yeah. The reverse of that would be right. I'm trying to keep my life and not really laying it down for Christ. Exactly. He, he doesn't think that's in any way consistent with the gospel, does he? Uh, you want to talk about cancel culture? Paul says, I've been canceled. He canceled himself. And so you should too, as a Christian. You should cancel yourself. Because you have been crucified with Christ. And now your life from here on out doesn't belong to yourself at all. It belongs to him. We shouldn't be afraid of cancel culture because we already canceled ourselves. How about that? Right? The TV won't tell you that. But the Bible will tell you that. Um, now this one right here is called, you know, fancy word, 
Yeah, antinomianism. Less fancy word, relativism. Anti, antinomian, anti means what? Y'all know what that means? Against. Nomian is what? Law, against the law. Meaning, I don't believe there's any law or any need for the law. Uh, this is what Paul meant when he asked the question, If we're saved by grace, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says, certainly not. You know, I'm not under the law as a way to earn my salvation, but I am under the law of Christ. Because I'm, I no longer live. Christ lives in me and I live to please him. An antinomian way of thinking is, since I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want to do or think however I want to think. Relativism. It's just whatever I want. Choose your own adventure kind of living. Both of these are equally terrible dangers, according to Paul. Both of them are equally terrible. Now, it may have been that in his particular situation, he's more worried about this one, number one, because that seems to have been what the confusion was all about in his day. Maybe we could argue number two is more prevalent today. But, you know, I think it's six and one half dozen, if you want my opinion, because they honestly both come from the same exact thing. What do both of them have in common, besides the fact that they both lose the gospel equally as effectively? <laughs> pride. pride? Both of them. It's either pride, yeah, I can actually do enough to be good enough for God, or pride of, I don't have to care to be good enough for God. Either way, it's pride. Either way, it's also a very bad view of who? God. Both of them says God is not to be trusted. They did, yeah. So, yeah, if you've, yep, an early heresy of the church, which came a little bit after Paul's writing this, did go in this direction where they said, you can do whatever you want because you're saved by grace now. And Paul had to fight that. John, especially, had to fight that one. And it's still, both of these are still happening today. Uh, always. Because I think these two are natural human ways of thinking. Both of them. Because humans, naturally, we don't trust God. And both of these come from the same heart of God is not to be trusted. He's a slave driver. That's what it says. And either I've got to do what the slave master says, and oh yeah, I've got to get back to the grindstone. Because God is just a hard judge, you know, I've got to get back in there. Or it's, he's so hard, I'm going to run the other way. And go and try to hide from him. Either way, you think God is hard. It's actually the very same thing that the snake tells Eve, right? Isn't it, Eve, that God just doesn't want, he doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he doesn't want you to have all the things that you could have if you ate it? Isn't God holding back on you? You know? Notice, Eve believed that, and first she went this direction. But then shortly after, Adam and Eve go this direction when they're trying to put fig leaves together and figure out how to make themselves look respectable in their birthday suits, newly discovered birthday suits, you know? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Two ways of losing the gospel. Cheer up, though, we all are in danger of it. Nobody is more in danger than the other. Um, no denomination of Christian is inoculated against these. Uh, the devil is an equal opportunity deceiver at all times. So even people who have very good gospel doctrine can have 
bad gospel experience by slipping in either to a performance-based system in their mind or heart or slipping into a I-want-to-do-what-I-want-to-do system in their mind and heart. Listen, if Simon Peter could slip into it, can you? Can I? Because it wasn't. Paul says, I opposed him to his face. But it wasn't because Peter had wrong gospel doctrine. Remember, that was already settled when, at the first meeting when Paul went to Jerusalem. He realized Peter had exactly the same thing I had from Jesus, just like I had it. He didn't add anything to it, take anything away from it. But yet, what was Peter's problem? He was not living in line with what he said. And every church, every Christian is going to always live on the gospel road, sort of in between the two ditches of legalism and antinomianism. Uh, One early church father said this, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And he said the two thieves could represent legalism on the one side and antinomianism on the other. It's either the cross or one of these two thieves that is going to run your life. And it's constant... There's a constant need. This is why Paul says, I don't set aside the grace of God. Paul recognizes his need to to always remember the basis of his relationship with God is grace. Because he knows his car, is not the the wheels aren't balanced right. He lets go of the wheel and it's going to veer. And, and, you know, some of us tend to veer this way by, by constitution, who we are. Some of us tend to veer this way by constitution. But nobody is just naturally straight as an arrow right down the gospel road. That takes effort. That takes work. That takes practice. That takes diligence. That takes each other, actually, encouragement from each other to, to do that. Does this make sense? Any thoughts about this? This is really kind of the core of what we want to discuss tonight. Does it make sense? Or do you have any thoughts or questions? Yes. It is. Yeah. 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 How are you viewing yourself here and here? We already said you're viewing God bad either way. He's not to be trusted. He's too harsh. You're the driver. Yeah, that's right. Here and here both. I'm in control. And either it's I can keep a tight ship, legalist, moralist, or... Well, I can't anyway, so I might as well just do what I want to do and have a little fun, you know. Life's short, might as well burn it down as I, as I go down, right, <laughs> or whatever. Um, either way, you're still envisioning yourself as in charge, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike's job is to be a legalist, and uh, yeah, it is hard, isn't it? Yeah. And many of us, that's the case, right? Because, you know, honestly, are morals bad? Are laws bad? No. Uh, these are kind of always bad, but God is a God of order. And God gives a law. And, I, and I, nothing that I'm saying is to diminish it any way my love for the law of God. I think the law of God is the best thing ever given, right, besides the gospel. But, yes, you're right. The, the, the problem is... 
this one can feel so good because so often it really does give you a fairly good life. You know, it helps you with your job. It helps you with your family. If you're, if you're a good moralist, you're going to have a good reputation. You know, you're going to have your stuff in a row. You, you know, you're probably going to have a good amount of money, <laughs> you know, if you have the right opportunities because you're going to do things by the book. You're going to do things the way they're supposed to be. This side, you, you, you're going to tend to flame out a little bit more, right? You know? This one? Yeah. Loving, accepting, absolutely. Creative. Of course. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> uh, think about it this way. Uh, so Jesus told a story of two lost sons. Remember that story? We often think it's about one lost son. But that's wrong. It's about two. It says a man had two sons. And this is exactly what he was talking about, right? Well, one son says, Dad, you're too hard. Give me the money now so I can go have fun. Actually, get on with my life. I'm tired of being under your thumb. He was that guy. He flamed out and came to the end of himself to return. The other son never left. And yet, where was his heart? Hard and like he didn't really like the father. He was just there because it was his duty. And it was cold and calculated, and um, he even said at the end, you know, Dad, look what I've done for you. And, and that, that's one of the number one ways you can know the moralism in your heart, is where, where do you feel angry with God because he hasn't paid up? I didn't deserve that to happen. I've been doing the right thing. God, why didn't you give me that bus? You gave that person their knucklehead. You didn't give that to me because I've been doing all the good stuff. That comes from legalism. It's a false way of viewing God and yourself, and, and it's a way to lose the gospel. Clint, you, you had your hand up, I think? Or? Yeah. Yeah. You're saying it's not just in my heart that I'm getting drawn, but the whole culture can draw me. And it is probably true that sometimes cultures are more this way, sometimes more that way. Um, that you could analyze that probably to kingdom come. But yeah, Rob. Uh, predetermination. Mm. Is that the <laughs> yeah, predestination, the autopilot. In a sense, yeah, maybe. Yeah, God's guiding His children home through the. Through the danger? No. <laughs> uh, j- just that it is true and, and that, you know, yeah, not really what Paul's addressing right here because he, he, he's wanting us to feel the weight of what are we doing with the gospel. There are times where Paul says, I want you to feel that it's in God's hands. I want you to remember that God is driving your life. And that's very good for the heart to embrace that. But in this particular time, he wants you to kind of sit uncomfortable with the, 
Am I walking in line with the gospel? Because if Peter didn't, maybe I'm not. And irrespective of predestination or election, you, you still got to hear the gospel and follow it and live, live in step with it. Because the God who predestines you to get to heaven at the end of the road also predestined every step along the way of the road. <laughs> and so pay attention to where you're at on the road. Uh, Alex? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this is a terrible way to rest. This is a terrible way to rest. You know, right? Both sides are not very good. Mm-hmm. Whether you're older brother, younger brother, either way, they lost the father. Which is the whole point. And the gospel is about getting us to the Father, which, yes, He does guide our destiny in that sense. But, um, but the thing to do is not to pay attention to has He guided my destiny to Him, but what am I doing with the gospel? You know? He's the way. He's the way. Yeah, yeah he's the path. Yeah. He is the way. Yeah. No. Christ, yes, yes. Yeah, the road is Jesus. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll stay in between the lines, right? It'll help you. You know, or when you start to veer off, at least you'll know how to get back, which we all, we all do that, right? Martin Luther put it this way. I mean, he talked about it as riding a horse. He said you can fall off a horse on the right side or the left side. He said the right side is legalism, the left side is antinomianism. Either way... You've fallen off the horse, and you need to stay on the horse. One is not better than the other. The point is to stay on the horse. The horse is Christ. The horse is the gospel. There's all different ways of saying it. None of this is original to me. Uh, This is old stuff people have been thinking about for a long time. Um, Second question. This kind of helps us think about Paul's great conclusion here even a little bit more. Uh, Notice he says, I died through the law. I died to the law. So that I might live for God. How do you know the difference between living for God by grace and seeking to be righteous by your own works? Bunch of answers here. So, uh, first, Drew, what'd you say? Fear. Fear. Robert, what'd you say? Okay, good. Yep. Ed, you had your hand? Contentment. Good. Joy. Yeah. Said, anger or bitterness to God. Yeah, exactly. Weariness. Yeah. Living. Go ahead. No peace. Yeah. Lack of love. It's like Jesus said to the to the Pharisees, "You, you strain gnats and swallow camels." That's what he, that's how he criticized their obedience. Uh, meaning you're so detailed because you feel like your whole relationship with God depends on your careful keeping of the law, but in the process you miss giant problems in your life. You swallow camels while you strain gnats. Uh, that was a funny way to put it. They probably didn't think it was funny, <laughs> but it's nevertheless true of me too. Sometimes I, I can be so particular about, okay, I've done this, I've done that, and then all of a sudden I, I've ignored someone right there that God's put in my life that's in great need, and I haven't even noticed them. Right? Have you ever done that? Like, 
so busy about trying to do the right thing that you walk right past an opportunity God has placed right in your lap. And according to Jesus, God would count that opportunity far more weighty than just the little things, you know. Yeah, all of the answers you've given are exactly right. Uh, a great way to think about it is contrast Paul before he met Christ with after. I mean, Paul was obedient both times in the sense that he tried to obey God both times. Many of you have a story like that where you tried to obey God a long time in your life maybe before you really understood the gospel or met Christ personally. Think about the difference between those two things. Um, the one that I would probably highlight more than all the others that you said is um, it's probably fear. Fear. And not the other answers aren't right. The other answers are exactly right. But uh, Paul says it again in, uh, later on in Galatians. The reason I highlight fear is he brings it back up. He says we're not under obligation to live, to please the flesh, to... Uh, we're not slaves anymore to fear. You know, our, our way of following God is not the old way of the, of the slave driver making us afraid because what if we don't obey God? He's going to zing us later in the day or whatever. Um, living for God from the, a, a point of view of grace takes the fear away. John says perfect love drives out fear because where there's fear, it, it's a fear of punishment. And a fear of punishment, while it can motivate people to do good things, and we shouldn't take that completely away because it actually restrains a lot of evil in society. Sometimes you shouldn't do bad things just because you don't want to go to jail. And I mean, that's a good thing that people are afraid or else they do a whole lot worse things, I think. But what this is saying is true obedience to God doesn't come just from that. Because that's not the way God, des God designed us to love him, therefore we obey him. Right? And only grace can get you there. And so he says, I had to die to the law before that ever happened. I had to die to this idea that I was going to be able to keep God's law to such a degree that God was going to have to owe me blessing and life and salvation. Make sense? Uh, the reason I ask that is because sometimes when we talk about this, we, we get nervous about, uh, well, well, are we going to live loosely? I mean, is this going to encourage people just to be... You know, shrug, shoulder shrugging Christians like, oh well, you know, I'm saved by grace, so whatever. Um, it could. I mean, I mean, people have taken it that way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, even from the very beginning, people in Paul's day took it that way. They even accused Paul of teaching that at times, which is what they'll always accuse people who teach grace of. But it's not accurately to understand it, because grace also means God owns you. <laughs> You're his possession. No longer I who live, but I live for him, through him, to him. Because he loved me and gave himself for me. It's amazing, isn't it? And so a Christian doesn't take the law and put it out of sight, out of mind. A Christian is able to come to God's law in a whole new relationship to it. No longer is it saying, do this and you'll live. Don't do this and you'll die. You're cursed. The law is now saying, listen to the great, sweet voice of your loving Heavenly Father who wants to guide you into good paths, who wants to lead you beside still waters. And to obey the Ten Commandments is the way to perfectly express your love for God. Don't you want to do that? Because he gave himself for you. That's different than saying, hey, you better get your act together. Or, you know, you don't want to be caught doing that when Jesus comes back. Did your mom or dad ever say that? 
or somebody at your church as a kid. You don't, you don't want to be caught doing that when Jesus comes back, right? And no, you probably don't. Whatever it was you were doing, you probably don't want to. But, but that's, not, uh, that's not the main uh, motivation, surely, right? It's a selfish motivation at the end of the day. It's, I'm, I'm doing what I have to do just to look out, get, save the skin, rather than, oh, man, my life is yours, which is the way you see like David, for example, I delight in your law, God. He wasn't a legalist, but he said, oh, tell me more things to do. Keep on telling me, because he actually loved God, which is a big, big difference. All right, third, uh, this gets more personal, and I, and, I, and I would love to hear from as many of you as would be willing to share, but where do you see yourself struggling with works righteousness in your life? Anybody brave enough? <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, everywhere. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's yeah. the constant thing that... It, it's the constant knee-jerk reaction that mm-hmm. is my, it's my, my first language. Mm-hmm. It is all of it. And, and so, almost in every type of situation, I have to apply the blood of Christ to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Done with students at school. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm building this relationship because of Christ. Therefore, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm doing this year right. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on mission. This oh, is, yeah. This is how I measure mm-hmm. up this year. Awesome job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Any other? Mm-hmm. In yourself, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's a hard part. Yeah. And just the, the difference between knowing developmentally, maybe they just need to be afraid of something, mm-hmm. versus, oh, am I really teaching them right now that mm-hmm. they need to earn my love, therefore God's love. God's love, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so. Hey, buddy. Hey. Can you call people? Hey, guys. Y'all take a seat for me. Y'all take a seat. We'll be done in just a minute. Thank you, buddy. Oh, yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Can you insist on obedience in your children and not encourage works righteousness? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Can, Can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Yeah. But the only way is to apprentice with Jesus in doing that. Be a good student of the gospel of Jesus. The only way to do it. But certainly you can. I mean, insisting on obedience and knowing that obedience is good is not automatically legalism. That's a that's a false uh, dilemma, right? Uh, and and neither is recognizing that sometimes things in life are gray and not black and white. Neither is that automatically antinomian, either, right? Some things are more gray. Something you know. But the only way to avoid those two difficulties is to keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Make sense? All right, we didn't get nearly as far as I wanted to get, I'm sorry to say, but we are at the order of the night, though, so we need to sing and, uh, and finish up. But I, I would encourage you to...
Maybe next week we'll, we'll actually tie up this knot. If you'll bring these back next week, I, I don't know if I can, if you guys were able to do this, but uh, fold it and put it in your Bible maybe and bring it back. We can finish up those last two before we dive into chapter 3. I think it would be helpful because it's a very important chapter, chapter 2.